your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, thank you, Colton. Acts in chapter number 5, we're going to look at the first 11 verses tonight. Kind of an unusual uh, story here in the book of Acts. Uh, and one of those passages that I'm sure if... Uh, if you've read through the book of Acts at least one time, you've probably read through it and went, why'd that happen? I know I have, uh, but I want us to look at it tonight, Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou wast not lying unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. Just for those of you that don't know, he, he's dead. Uh, he, he's dead. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound them up, carried them out, and buried them. Verse 7. And it was about the space of three hours after, three hours after they put Ananias in the ground. About the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. So understand his wife wasn't even allowed to be a part of the funeral. And Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yay, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. She's dead. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, I pray as we look at this unusual situation, at this passage, Lord, that I'm sure many of us have wondered why and what and how and not really understood your purpose. Lord, I pray tonight you give us a bit of understanding. I pray to your Holy Spirit of God, you'd lead us and guide us in all truth. Lord, I pray you'd help us to seek your perfect will. And Lord, would you use your word powerfully tonight as you give understanding, as you give even conviction to our hearts, as you adjust the sails of our life, Lord, we ask you to do so. And Lord, we plead for your will to be done. Lord, I ask for your help tonight. Lord, as I endeavor to teach you right your truth, Lord, would you help me? In your precious name we pray. Amen. The early church here, this church in Jerusalem, as we've mentioned several times in our Bible study, was growing. 
uh, it was multiplying. When I was a boy, a beagle dog showed up on our farm, a tricolor beagle, and nobody claimed it. And I went to my dad and I said, Dad, can I keep this dog? He said, well, I'm sure it belongs to somebody. I said, okay, if nobody shows up to claim it, if we can't find the owner, can I keep the dog? And my dad said, okay, you can keep the dog, but here's the deal. You pay for everything. You take care of everything. Me and your mother have nothing to do with it. I'm not paying a penny towards that dog. So I kept the dog. I had just gotten my driver's license, I believe, just before that. I drove down to Yager's feed store. I bought some wire to build a dog fence. I, I set, dug holes to set some posts. I built a dog run. I built a dog house. I put my dog in there. I bought dog food, the cheapest dog food you could buy. It was called Sunshine Dog Food. I think it was one step above cardboard. And I named him Hank. Hank was a decent rabbit dog, but he was useless as far as his obedience. He would not obey anything. But if you let him out and you followed him, he'd chase rabbits. And he would chase rabbits for as long as he wanted to chase rabbits. He wouldn't listen to anything you said, but if you'd stay up with him, he'd, he'd jump rabbits out and you could kill him. And when you wanted to go home, you just had to go home and let him keep going. He eventually, a couple days later, he might show back up. And I decided I wanted a dog that I could train. I wanted a dog that would be obedient, a dog that would listen to me. It is true when they say about teaching an old dog new tricks. Uh, my wife has found out. She's been trying to teach me new tricks for years, and it doesn't work. But I got another dog. I named her Lady. She was a sweet, sweet dog. She was an awesome dog. She was an obedient dog. But how many of you know how dog math works? You know, in, in regular math in school, Chloe, one plus one is how many? Two? See, she's smarter than I am. In dog math, one plus one equals ten. And it wasn't long until my dogs multiplied. And I had a bunch of dogs. Now, the church in Jerusalem was multiplying. It wasn't just adding one and two. There were thousands saved on Pentecost. Uh, Peter and John healed the man at the, uh, the beautiful gate. I believe there were hundreds, maybe thousands saved there. The, the church was growing, and I mean it was multiplying uh, in dog math. And they had lots of people coming, uh, growing. And it is not surprising that as the church is increasing, as the local church is multiplying, as God's work is going forward, it is not surprising that as that is happening, the devil is working. The devil's not happy. The devil is wanting to fight against and trying to snuff out that excitement and that growth that is happening there in Jerusalem in the early church. And we see the devil hard at work here in Acts chapter 5. Uh, he was on the warpath. He was, he was doing, I believe, all in his power to try to stop and cause hindrance to that local church that would send forth the gospel around the world. You understand you have the gospel today because of the church in Jerusalem. I, I have the gospel today because of the church in Jerusalem. The devil was trying to stop that fire from spreading across, and we see him fighting here in that local church. And so the Bible says here that he 
filled the heart of these two folks. He directed them. It was a tragedy. A tragedy here in this local church. that They yielded to the devilish suggestion to lie to the Holy Ghost. Unsurprisingly, after God's judgment fell upon Ananias and Sapphira, the Bible says in verse 11 that great fear came upon all the church. Everyone was filled with a sense of awe. Surprise, I'm sure. Imagine if such a thing happened today. I mean, imagine if Sunday morning somebody uh, was caught lying and they just died right there. And Jeff and Ahmad picked him up, carried him outside, dug a hole in the ground, dropped him in the ground. We'd be like, everybody's eyes just bigger around, what in the world's going on? Three hours later, his wife comes in. Jeff and Ahmad take her out and bury her. Uh, I mean, just imagine, that's what happened here. Imagine what it did here in this, in the early church here in Jerusalem. I believe that, and we see plainly as we uh, look ahead a little bit, and we learn that Barnabas, a man who God would use mightily, a man who wanted to truly serve the Lord and wanted God to use him, uh, he would give and cause a desire for others to give. But, but I want to I look and break things up in, in four things. And I, I know this is a, a bit of a confusing passage. I know it's a, what's going on here. But I want to break it up in four segments to kind of take some bites of it to understand it a little better. Number one, I want to talk about the sin. Let, let's, let's get that out of the way first. What, what was the sin? Obviously, the sin was not giving to the church. That wasn't the sin. Now, we ask the question, what's the sin? Because obviously, it's a, it's a pretty bad sin. I mean, dead. Three hours later, dead. Obviously, the Lord thought it was pretty bad. Kind of like the guy that went to a pet store and bought a parrot. He bought a parrot, and he brought the parrot home. And the parrot was an intelligent parrot. They could talk. And it was a nice parrot at the store. And the guy was so impressed, he paid a lot of money for this parrot. And he brought it home, and as soon as he got it home, the parrot started cussing him and started being mean and nasty and saying horrible things. And the guy's talking to the parrot, as you do, and saying, you better stop this. You better act, act right or I'm going to take you back to the pet store. And this parrot starts just saying horrible things. And the guy was frustrated. Imagine what you would do. I mean, you got to, what do you do to a parrot that's talking back to you? So he, he did what Pastor Ice would probably do. He took the parrot, opened the freezer, stuck the parrot in the freezer, and shut the door for a second. <laughs> teach him a lesson. Waited a few minutes. Opened the freezer, pulled the parrot out, and said, Okay, you going to be nice now? And the parrot said, He's cold. I'm gonna, I promise I'm going to be good. I'm never going to say anything bad again. I'm going to be a good parrot. I'm going to be the best parrot ever. I promise I'm never going to say bad words. I'm going to be nice. He said, But I, can I ask one question? 
And the guy said, okay, but you behave yourself. He said, what did the chicken do? You'll get it later. Frozen chicken in the freezer. But as we think about this sin, it must have been a bad sin. I mean, it had to be bad. I mean, it has to be something pretty serious if God killed two people. So, so what was the sin? The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, I want you to notice here, Acts 4 verse 36, if we skip back a little bit, it says in Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is having me an interpreter, the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, verse 37, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid at the apostles' feet. Understand, this sin was not an outside hindrance that came to the church. This sin was a hindrance that came from the inside. But what was it? Where did it start? It started with Barnabas. Now, Barnabas did not sin. Barnabas, God laid on his heart to to sell a piece of land and to give the funds to the local church in Jerusalem. Imagine the need of a church, the thousands of people, a growing church. It was a great need. And God laid on Barnabas' heart to give everything. Can you imagine what it was like for Barnabas next Sunday? He showed up at the church. Man, all the needs that the church had, and no doubt they were great needs. They were being met, and people said, man, Barnabas, thank you all. No, the Lord just used me. It wasn't Barnabas didn't do it for recognition. But I think that Ananias and Sapphira were there. I thought, man, look at the way they're thinking about Barnabas. We, we want that. We want to be thought of as important. We want people to think that we uh, are somebody. We want the attention. We want the limelight. We, we want people to focus on us. So the Bible tells us, and it speaks about uh, the beginning of the passage. We don't know exactly what it is they sold. It says that uh, they sold a possession. We find out that possession is, is a piece of land because Peter brings it up specifically. But they sold a piece of land, and we don't know what they sold it for. Well, just for instance, let's say they sold it for $500 to make it just easy. They came to Peter and said, hey, we want to be like Barnabas. You know, we, we want God to use us. And, and we sold a piece of land, and we want to give all of it to the church, and here's $400. We don't know what the numbers were. We don't know if it was almost the whole amount of the lamb. We don't know if it was just a small amount. That doesn't matter. It matters that the Bible says they lied to the Holy Ghost. They, Ananias and Sapphira were, as I mentioned, impressed, I believe, by Barnabas. Satan tempted them in verses 1 through 4. They didn't have to give anything. It wasn't that the, the church said, hey, if you go to this church, you're part of this local body of believers, you've got to sell your land and give it all to the church. Absolutely not. They didn't have to give anything. But they kept back part and said they gave all, and they fell into the sin of pretense. They fell into the sin of hypocrisy. They fell into the sin of deception, insincerity of lying and unreality. And can I tell you, verses 3 and 4 tell us it was a sin against God. It says there in verse 3, it says, But Peter said to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? He didn't say, How dare you lie to me? 
How, how dare you lie to me? I'm an apostle. No. He said, you lied to the Holy Ghost. You've lied to God. We see the seriousness of that. And it was a sin against God. Verse 4, while it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Understand the sin was lying to God, lying to the Holy Spirit. It was a sin directly against God. But it was more than that. It was also a sin against the local church because it affected the work of the church. It affected the spirit of the church. It affected the 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 spiritual temperature, if you will, or health of the church, it was conceived in their hearts. By the way, that's where sin begins. It always starts in your heart. Whenever Achan, Achan walked across the walls of Jericho that were flattened, and he walked in, and the Bible says he saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and, and gold and silver. He saw it with his eyes but the sin started in his heart and that sin from his heart caused him to take it it caused him to hide it and judgment came that sin started in his heart by the way the same same way the sin of Adam started when Adam saw the fruit and he desired it in his heart he desired it we see here the sin that God judged and we're going to get to that in a moment the sin that God's judged was a sin against God, a sin against the church. It was a sin that started in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. They opened the door to the devil. They just opened it just a little bit. And the devil kicked down the door. And that sin that started in their heart came forth. It was premeditated. It was deliberate. Intentional, it was planned. If Brother Will and I went out and we were cutting firewood. You ever cut firewood, Will? I've cut a lot of firewood as a kid. I've split more firewood than I've cut. And where I'm from, the splitting is not like the splitting here. Brother Jeff, you grew up splitting wood here. It's like butter. I grew up splitting oak and walnut and pretty much like concrete. And if, but Will and I, we went out cutting firewood, and I'm sawing down a tree, and sometimes those of you that work the chainsaws know that things don't go quite always go the way you want it to, and the tree kicked back, and it falls and drops on Will and kills him. Now, I'm the one that cut the tree. I was the one running the saw. The tree fell on him. Joy's going to come after me and hunt me down. But I would have been responsible but it would not have been on purpose. It would have been a horrible, tragic accident. Terrible accident. Accidental death. Understand, this sin was not an accident. It wasn't Ananias that, oh, I thought I gave the whole amount. I, I, it was my mistake. Just an accident. No, they planned it. They talked about it. Hey, let's do the same thing he did. And let's... We'll go and bring X amount to Peter. And we'll tell Peter this is all of it. And people are going to be impressed. I mean, they're going to glorify us. I believe they were trying to steal the limelight from the Holy Spirit and the work of God. But they lied to God. 
They harmed the church. The sin began in their heart as they opened the door to the devil. It was premeditated. It was deliberate, intentional. It was planned. It was on purpose. And beyond that, they were partners in it. It wasn't Ananias that here's what I'm going to do. And then I'll just tell my wife, hey, we gave it all. No, they talked about it. They planned together. Christian, be careful. When you purposely sin, can I tell you what normally happens? You get other people involved in your sin. Most of the time when we sin, our lives and our sin affects others. But when we sin on purpose and we plan, normally we bring people in. And we pull people in away from God and away from God's purpose. And that's what happened here with this family, with this husband and this wife. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Hold your place in Acts there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Can I tell you that you can't say, well, they just couldn't say no to the temptation. The temptation was too good. There was no way to escape it. God says there's always a way. That's a lie we tell ourselves. Oh, no, I just, I just couldn't say no to that. I mean, God, you know how I am. You know that I'm, you know, if that comes, I'm going to have to say yes. And God says, no, I'll give you a way. I'll give you a way to escape it. By the way, don't blame God. Don't blame God for your sin. That's what Adam did. Adam, the, the, the woman, God, the woman thou gavest me. We blame God for our sin. We say, God, well, you made me this way. I've got a proclivity towards this sin because you made me this way. I do this because you made me that way. No. God says he gives us a way to escape. But yet they, they fell to that sin. They did not have to, but they did. And their sin was unconfessed, unforsaken, and unjudged by themselves. If we look in the book of Corinthians, we, as we did a few weeks ago, as we looked at the Lord's Supper, the Bible says that we are to judge ourselves. We're to examine ourselves. They did not judge themselves. They did not examine themselves. They said, no, we're okay. We can do what we want. But God judged them. God judged them. Proverbs 28. I'll read for you here just quickly. We see that they could have acted on something that would have been a great blessing to them. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Right here, I believe with all my heart. That when Peter, when they came to Peter, had he confessed, had he made it right, God would have used that mightily in that church, but they did not do so. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we see the sin. The sin was against God. The sin was against the local church. The sin started in their heart. It was premeditated. It was purposeful. They worked together, uh, unrepentant. Number two, the next section I want you to look at, I 
I want you to see Peter and the courage of Peter. Now, Peter is kind of freshly back at this thing of ministry. Peter was wounded. Peter denied the Lord. Peter went fishing. Peter lost his faith. But Peter's back in. But you understand, the time period is not long after Peter. It wasn't long ago Peter said, I go fishing. It wasn't many, many, many weeks ago that Peter said, I don't know him. Peter's just, I believe, kind of getting his spiritual feet under him again. Peter was probably a little worried that people were going to judge him pretty harshly and they would know about that. But I love the fact that Peter had courage. Peter had courage to speak the word of the Lord. He didn't, he didn't tell the people what they wanted to hear. He spoke truth. We see in verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie of the Holy Ghost? Well, I don't figure Ananias liked hearing that. I, I don't think that Peter read that in How to Win Friends and Influence People uh, book that he didn't read. Uh, it says in verse number 4, Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? And he looked at him and said, hey, you lied to God. This, this isn't about me and you. This is about you and God. And then in verse number 8, And Peter answered unto her, the wife, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yea, for so much. In verse 9, And Peter said to her, How is it you've agreed together? I'm sure there were people in the gathering that day that when Ananias fell dead, they thought, okay, God judged him hard, but that, that's got to be enough. But God judged Sapphira as well. I'm sure there were people that were very upset about that. We're going to see in a minute it wasn't Peter that judged them, but Peter spoke the word of God with boldness. Peter was not responsible for the judgment that fell on Ananias and Sapphira. That was God's doing. Peter didn't say, you're dead, you're dead. That wasn't Peter, that was God. All Peter did was unmask their sham. All Peter did was pull the rug back and show the dirt. All Peter did was show the truth. He showed their insincerity, their hypocrisy, their deception, their lying. How? I believe God gave him special discernment. I believe God revealed it to Peter and gave him the discernment to see it. And Peter was courageous enough to speak it. How many of you know that sometimes we're not courageous enough to speak the truth? Because we want to be popular. We want to be liked. We don't want to make people mad. We don't want to be, I can't believe he said, no, I'm going to be careful what I say. Peter spoke with great courage and acted as God wanted him to. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. The prayer was, hey, it wasn't God protect us and keep us from having to face this again. The prayer was, God, if it happens again, give me boldness. Help me to say that which is right. Help me to just stand for that which is true, that which is holy. I went to a doctor about 
13, 14 years ago. Dr. Both, a good man, he's from South Africa. Phenomenal doctor. He's up in Gibbons. He used to be my family doctor. I went to Dr. Botha back in the spring or summer of 2009. Or maybe it was 2009. I walked in his office. He examined me and he looked at me. And these were his words. Mr. Rice, you are going to die. He said it three or four times. And I'm like, What? And at that time, my, my blood pressure was off the charts. I, my health was not in good shape. I, a lot of stress and things I was dealing with out of the norm as well as health issues. And he said, you are going to die. I wasn't that old. I didn't want to hear that. I wish he'd have just said, oh, you look pretty healthy. You just keep doing what you're doing. I would be in heaven right now. Uh, he scheduled me for a bunch of tests. Man, I went home and said, man, I got to change some stuff. I got to change my diet. I got to change what I'm doing. I got to get active. And he scared me enough that I changed my lifestyle so much. By the time they ran tests, I didn't even need blood pressure medication. Uh, I was scared straight. Uh, but he, he told me what I needed to hear. It wasn't what I wanted to hear. Christian, praise God for preachers and Christian friends. And Christian counselors that are willing to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Peter was such a man. Peter said what needed to be said, not what people wanted him to say. And we see the courage of Peter. There were men like Jeremiah, Daniel, John, who were imprisoned or banished. Men like Stephen who were martyred because they spoke the truth. And praise God for their faithful speaking of the truth. Today there are many like those good men. But there is a much greater number today who want to do as the Bible said would come in the last days. The sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. Tickling the ears of those that want to hear. Oh, this is what I want to hear. Oh, this, tell us this. I want to hear this. Peter said what God wanted him to say. Number three, and this is, I believe, the important aspect of this. This part is important to understand. It was the judge, number three, the judgment of God. It wasn't the judgment of Peter. It wasn't the church, the local church of Jerusalem passing judgment. It wasn't the judgment of the congregation. It was the judgment of God. And by the way, how many of you know that God has the right to judge the world? <laughs> he is the judge. And by the way, he's the only one that has that right. And as Brother Ahmad reminded me years ago, he's not hiring. He's not looking for helpers. He doesn't need anybody to help him. Uh, he is the judge. And whatever he does, he can do. The Bible tells us in verse 5 and 6, And Ananias, hearing these words, what words? The word Peter spoke. Fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound them up and carried them out and buried them. Can I tell you that was the judgment of God, not the judgment of Peter, not the judgment of the church. Verse 9 and 10. Then Peter said to her, to Sapphira, 
How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carried her forth, buried her by her husband. Again, this was not the action of Peter. And I know many of you, like me, have read this passage before and went, why God do that? So often we want to question God. Suffice it to say that God is right and just in his judgments. But God judged them. If God judged today, in 2023, the same way he judged here in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, for sin in their lives, for insincerity, for hypocrisy, for lying and pretense. I wonder how many would bodies would hit the ground. I wonder how many bodies we'd have to wrap up and dig a hole and toss them in. I wonder if there'd be enough of us left to dig the holes. But that's what God did. Can I tell you it's easy, especially today, to profess more than we possess, to profess more than we possess, to make out that we are holier than we are. And can I tell you, we're not holy, he's holy. We're not righteous, he's righteous. We have no good works to hold up. We can only hold up the righteousness of God. Matthew chapter 15, would you hold your place and turn there with me quickly? Matthew chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. Listen to the nice, I love you, you love me preaching of Jesus here. He doesn't sound much like Barney the dinosaur here. Uh, ye hypocrites. Well, that's not very nice. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. And Jesus looked out amongst the people and said, I know what you are. I see you. I see you for what you are. He understood who they were as he called them hypocrites. Why did God's judgments fall? Why did God do this here in this passage in Acts chapter 5? I can't tell you why. Maybe it was because the Lord knew that unless he nipped it in the bud, that that sin would so corrupt that church in Jerusalem, the gospel would cease to go forth. I don't know. God doesn't tell us. Perhaps it was to be a solemn warning for that church in every believer's sense of the importance of not lying to the Holy Ghost. The Bible doesn't tell us why. Maybe it was to remind us that God will not be mocked. He desires truth in the inward parts. Psalm 51, the Psalm David, get him right with God. God desired truth in the inward parts from David. As David said against thee, and thee only have I sinned. Lord, I want to make this right. I want my heart to be right with you. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation.
He asked for a right spirit to be given back to him in David's prayer in Psalm 51. Maybe it was done according to some things we see in 1 Corinthians as God speaks about those that sleep. In other words, they crossed the line and there was a reason God said they were causing more harm than good and God took them out of the way. It may be what God called a sin unto death and there is a sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. By the way, it's not a sin to lose your salvation. It's a sin unto death. All I know is when you look at the judgment in chapter 5, number one, don't look at Peter. Don't look at the church of Jerusalem. It was God who, who judged these two people. And God has a right to judge and God doesn't have to explain to us why he did so. But we know God judged. So the question is, does God still work in the same way now as he did here in Acts chapter 5? Maybe he does. Maybe he will. It's not for us to judge God. But I'll tell you one thing we better not do. One thing I know for certain is that I cannot dare remove this pastor from the Word of God. I cannot dare remove or try to remove God's right to judge the way he judged Ananias and Sapphira. The fact is, we see here that God was warning and instructing and leading us to walk humbly and to walk carefully with our God. When I was in Bible college, my first year of Bible college, I got to do something I had never done before. This will probably surprise many of you. The very first time I ever got to play organized football in my life, I played intramural football my, my freshman year of Bible college. I never got to play high school football. I never got to play any kind of peewee league or uh, any kind of never got to play organized football. My freshman year of Bible college, even though I almost never slept, I, I decided I was going to play. And I played on the line. I wanted to play the same position my dad played in college and high school. And across from me, the opposite position was a dear friend. His name was Steve Brand. Steve was a big, stocky, powerful guy, older than me, much older than me. He was so much older than me, he was about... My wife's age, I think. But I think, I think you all were in school together. I think Carrie was in school with Steve in the same bus route area. Good, good guy, good friend. Powerful guy. Steve was a bit of a mechanic, car mechanic. He didn't do that for a living, but every once in a while someone would ask Steve, hey, can you work on my vehicle? Steve was a married man at the time. This was a bit later than my freshman year. We're talking about three years later after Steve and I played football together. And Steve went to the college to work on a, a, a mutual friend's car. Steve jacked the car up, as I have done hundreds of times. Steve crawled under the car and began to work on that Mitsubishi Starion. And the jack let go. 
the guy whose car it was came out the back of the college property. Steve was alive and he was struggling. He was a, a big guy and he was Cheeto, the guy whose car it was. He, he yelled at Cheeto and asked him to, you know, get somebody. And they got a bunch of guys and they lifted the car off my buddy Steve. And moments after they lifted the car off his body, Steve into the presence of our Savior. Steve left a young wife. It was a, such a shock. Steve was a strong guy, powerful guy. I mean, Superman type of guy. And he was dead. And his young wife was a widow. Can I tell you what I did that day? Carrie and I were married. Like Steve, many times I would, for a little extra, extra cash on the side, work on people's cars. I'd done it many times. And up to that point in my life, every time I crawled under a vehicle, I'd never used the jack stand. When I heard the news of Steve's passing, I, I wept for a bit and I prayed for his, I prayed for his wife. And I got in my car and I drove to the store and I bought a set of jack stands. And to the best of my ability, I've tried in those 25 years that have passed since to never get under a vehicle unless there's a jack stand under it. Because any time I even think about it, I see Steve. I think about how powerful and how strong he was, and yet, that quick, his life was gone. That's a powerful reminder to me. I believe God judged harshly here as a powerful reminder for us as believers as a powerful reminder for, reminder for the local church to walk humbly, to walk honestly with our God. Lastly, I want us to look quickly and see the reaction of the people, number four. The reaction of the people. What effect did this intervention of God what effect did this judgment of God have on the people of God? Actually, there were not just the people of God. There were two classes of people, two groups of people that were affected. There were believers and there were unbelievers. And the Bible speaks of both of them. Both of them were affected by what happened. In each case, the Bible says in verse 5, and again in verse 11, that they experienced great fear. Verse 5, and Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came upon all them that heard these things. Look at verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church. Those are the believers. But it doesn't stop there. And upon as many as heard these things. A great awe fell on them. A great understanding of the awesome power of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. 
the presence and power of God. We could take a look in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, and we could read about God's judgment. We could look at 2 Chronicles, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17. The Bible speaks of the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. But both groups, believers and unbelievers, both. The Bible says great fear to the unbeliever, fear of God's judgment. Many times as I, as I try to share the gospel with folks, I very plainly share with folks, and I believe we ought to, of the judgment of God. I believe we do a great disservice to the lost world when we fail to mention there's a place called hell. When we fail to mention there's a judgment on sin. You know, somebody's out in the pool and they're not drowning and you go try to rescue them, they're going to get mad at you like, man, leave me alone, man. I'm okay. I don't need you to rescue me. Unless somebody realizes the condition they're in before a holy God and the judgment of God, why in the world would they want the right? Why in the world would they want the salvation of God? But we need to realize here that the lost world, the unbelievers, the fear of God, the fear of the judgment of God came up here. Look at Hebrews 10 quickly. Just a, just a few seconds here. I want you to see a couple verses. Hebrews 10, verse 27. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fire indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Look at verse, actually, uh, yeah, look at verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. I'm reminded of Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon. Jonathan Edwards, by the way, who was not a great pulpiteer. He was not a great orator. He wasn't a good speaker. He was a timid and a scared, mild-mannered man with very poor vision, historians tell us, that wrote his sermons word for word and leaned over the pulpit with his eyes very close and read his sermon word for word in a monotone voice. That's the man that preached the great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And as he read that sermon in a monotone voice, no animation, the Holy Spirit of God convicted men. As It was said as every time Mr. Edwards preached that sermon, before the sermon was over, sinners would be crawling down the aisle, begging God to save them. Can I tell you that the early church, we see great fear came upon them. We don't know exactly what happened the next day, but can I tell you what I think happened? I wouldn't be surprised if Peter didn't have a whole line of people lined up to talk to him the next day. And say, Peter, I, I want to get saved. I, I believe in God. I believe Christ is the Lord. And I, I want to trust him. Great fear came upon them. And great fear to the believer. Not fear of judgment, not fear of God's punishment, but fear of grieving the Holy Spirit. Fear of displeasing God. Let's close with Ephesians 4, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 30. And grieve not the Holy 
Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Can I tell you it is significant that when the sin of Ananias and Sapphira were dealt with, after the judgment of God, God's blessings came down on that local church. I'm going to read for you quickly. If you're, if you're still open to your text, you can look with me. But verse 11 says, And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and the rest are no man to join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. That didn't happen until after sin was dealt with. So, Pastor, do you understand exactly why God did what he did? No. But I know he's God. And I know that I can see the mighty power of God working even when we don't understand what God does. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I thank you for the passages like this that we can't seem to exactly understand. But Lord, we can trust you. And we can see your hand mightily. Lord, I pray that we would take it as a warning to walk humbly with our God. Help us not to try to lift up ourselves. That we have a right spirit, a right heart, a right walk. Lord, we seek your will and your purpose. We want to see your blessing. Lord, would you take us out of the way? God, remove from us anything that would hinder that work. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for what you've done, for what you're going to do. Bless us now. In your precious name we pray. Amen.